I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Friends, Assistant Vice President of IT Security at Mount Sinai South Nassau in New York, and Brian Russell, Chief Technology Officer at TrustThink, a cybersecurity engineering firm. Brian and Chris will be speaking to me about the Cloud Security Alliance's new medical device incident response playbook that they co-authored to help healthcare delivery organizations. So for starters, Chris, tell me a little bit about what the purpose of this playbook is and who is the target audience within healthcare delivery organizations? The target audience is information security teams, as well as hospital leadership, as well as a lot of the clinicians themselves. One of the problems you see in hospitals today is that a conversation around clinical context with regards to information security is often missing. Uh, One of the things you'll find is that we often worry about risk from a more traditional information security perspective, where we think about the asset value, we think about the environment the asset's in, we think about the data on the asset, we think about how vulnerable the asset is, but we often don't think about the patient safety implications of whether an asset were to go down or not. So one of the things that we wanted to bring to the table was some more clinical context around the incident response process. In other words, not all medical devices are the same and not all can be handled the same way as you respond to an incident. So for example, a common incident response tactic of dealing with um, spreading malware is to disconnect to the PC. Now you might be able to pull the plug on a PC but you can't necessarily do that for a respirator hooked to a patient. And there's all kinds of classes of medical devices in which the incident response process is going to be dependent upon the clinical context in which that device is used. So one of the things we wanted to bring to the table was to start the discussion around how clinical context is going to impact the incident response process within a healthcare organization. So Brian, I understand that the playbook provides three use case examples, including an imaging device compromise, a personal implanted device compromise or the revelation of vulnerabilities and a networked infusion pumps loss of availability or function. Why did you choose these three examples and are they the most likely scenarios facing healthcare entities right now? I think we chose them. They, they sort of were representative of the, the seven um, sort of contextual scenarios that we had put together. And so, you know, for example, um, if you look at something like a a compromise of a CT scanner or an associated PACS system. The question is, is that, you know, compromised device located in, let's say, an outpatient setting where the, the impact is relatively minimal, or maybe it's located in, a, you know, an ER triage type of scenario where loss of that availability causes the, you know, the hospital to redirect patients to another facility, for example. Um, and so that's something that you have to take into consideration when you're thinking about taking the device offline. And then same for, you know, an ICD, you know, is it a single device that's been compromised? Well, you know, the the clinical impact is relatively minimal, but if it's an entire, you know, class of devices that's now vulnerable to a new zero-day vulnerability, well, now you have to really think of what processes you have to have in place, what the patient impact is, and how you remediate those devices and the patients that they're attached to, right? And then the network confusion pump, you know, you're probably going to handle uh, compromise of telemetry data a lot differently than you would handle the compromise of the device's operation, uh, which has a, you know, a safety critical impact there as well. So, so that's sort of why we, we chose those use cases, because um, we wanted to show the representative examples of um, how you would use the, the seven scenarios that we came up with in the playbook. 
So Chris, as a security leader in a healthcare organization, what sorts of incidents involving what kinds of medical devices are you most worried about on a day-to-day basis? And how did that kind of play into the work that you did in this playbook? We're typically most worried about medical device issues that affect the availability of the device. Uh, One of the things that we saw with a lot of the ransomware attacks against hospitals, starting with the WannaCry attack in 2017, is that medical devices can often become encrypted as well. So one of the things we really worry about is if a device becomes unavailable to treat the patient, what are the impacts of that going to be? Because even something that causes just the delay in patient care does have the potential for adverse outcomes. If we look at a lot of data surrounding, for example, uh, heart attacks, if you have a heart attack during a marathon, it takes on average four minutes longer for an ambulance to get to you. Over the course of those four minutes, your risk of dying from a heart attack increases by about 15%. So anything that causes a delay like that to patient care is a huge concern within healthcare. So one of the things that we were very concerned with is the types of attacks that can potentially cause those delays. And delays can occur during incident response in two forms. One, you have the potential delays caused by the cyber attack itself. And secondly, you have the potential for delays caused by the incident response process. During incident response, it's common to want to bring devices offline to perform forensics or cleanup malware. Uh, It's common to want to um, cut off communications to certain devices in order to keep malware from spreading. And a lot of those things do have potential clinical repercussions. And that's one of the things that we want to highlight in the playbook is kind of illustrate seven different cases where in some cases like a wireless blood pressure cuff, it might be perfectly acceptable to disconnect that device from the patient and from the network. There's going to be no adverse effects there if you do that. Whereas something like a telemetry monitor, if you disconnect that from a network, Yes, it might not harm the patient, but at the same time, it might change the nursing workflows because now you might, re- might require more frequent rounding of nurses. And for CTs, as Brian mentioned, that has the potential to cause diversion. If it's an embedded device, it's a whole different class of category. So we really want to get across that medical device incident response is not a one-size-fits-all process and that you have to consider for each device that you want to respond to what the impact's going to be if you disconnect the device from both the patient as well as the network. How is that gonna impact patient safety? So when it comes to legacy medical devices, which is a challenge for healthcare entities, because I understand that many healthcare entities keep their existing medical devices for more than a decade often, there does tend to be a lot of vulnerabilities that later on get discovered on no longer supported products. Does there tend to be overall certain areas of security weaknesses in these sort of legacy products that are in use still that tend to be the most worrisome spots that these healthcare entities need to deal with? That's a critical area there is the continued use of legacy technologies within medical devices, right? Even to the point where you still see many medical devices that are shipped with very, you know, basic weaknesses, right? But the medical devices themselves may be built on legacy technologies. You know, they may have, again, very well-known weaknesses that they're shipped with, such as, you know, okay, well, default passwords, insecure services, you know, like Telnet, you know, I've seen Telnet enabled many, many times on on medical devices when you could go with a secure alternative, things like that, right? And then what what does that sort of lead to? It leads to the inability to really build a good cybersecurity program around your medical devices. Um, And I'll say one thing, you know, one of the things that we sort of noticed as we were building out the, you know, incident response plan is um, we wanted to really take this, you know, the, the full phased approach to incident management. And so we based it off of NIST 
and their incident management planning, where you have preparation and then detect, analyze, contextualize, and contain, eradicate, recover, analyze post-incident, share updates, things like that. But what we really noticed was during the preparation phase, where you have to sort of prepare for an incident, and you have to take into account that you have modern medical devices and legacy medical devices, there's really a whole bunch of stuff that, that you have to do to prepare for an incident that just goes into good planning for your cybersecurity program for your medical devices in the first place. Um, and that includes things like building out isolation architectures, um, you know, training your team, gathering the right team, establishing security awareness, preparing known backups of you know, firmware and configuration files, implementing you know, network monitoring, like all of those things that are good fundamental aspects of your cybersecurity, pro- your medical device cybersecurity program that are applicable to both modern and legacy devices. And Chris, from your perspective, what are some of the top mistakes that you think many healthcare delivery organizations make in terms of addressing medical device cybersecurity? I think probably the top issue with medical device cybersecurity and actually cybersecurity in general in healthcare is too many networks are still flat networks. I think a lot of the ransomware attacks illustrate that where the problem is, is that every device in the network can talk to pretty much every other device in the network. And while that may make things convenient to deploy because it makes it really easy for devices to interconnect, it does cause a problem in a security sense because it makes it very easy for malware and other stuff to spread through the organization. I think network segmentation is something that's uh, sorely lacking within hospitals. In terms of some other controls, I think uh, a lot of hospitals should implement things like DNS sync holding for medical devices. Uh, one of the challenges is with medical devices is you can't always install endpoint security solutions on them like you can a PC. So you might not become alerted to an infected medical device because of that. It creates a kind of a blind spot, but a great way to identify potentially infected medical devices to look at the traffic coming from the device. And DNS and calling and some other techniques around that are a great way to identify infected devices that are in need of remediation. And as Brian mentioned, the guide goes into a lot of the controls and a lot of the tools that healthcare systems should be deploying around their medical devices, as well as some of the controls and tools needed to field an effective incident response. And Brian, if you were to offer healthcare organizations one top piece of advice in terms of preparing and planning to deal with a potential medical device cybersecurity incident, what is that advice? Chris mentioned, you know, the flat networks and, and all my sort of is on, you know, have visibility into what's on your network, great. And, you know, there's still lots of organizations out there that don't know um, and aren't actively monitoring all of their network connected messages. And it gets really complicated, right? It's not an easy problem because not all of the, you know, just IP, but, you know, the, the detached servers and computers and, you know, via USB or, or whatnot, having a, a program in place to really be able to record what assets are on your network. And not only that, but you know, if you can get more advanced, the details of what's what's included within those devices, right? So what libraries and things like that. And there's capability like SBOM, you know, software bill materials that are sort of making their, their rounds through the medical device community to, to try and get medical device manufacturers to report what's composed within their devices, what, what libraries and that sort of thing, right? Um, but from an HDO perspective, having that visibility of what devices are on your network, what libraries are included within them, who owns them, you know, who are the appropriate point of contacts, things like that gives you enough visibility to start planning for an incident. Well, thank you very much, Brian and Chris. I've been speaking to Brian Russell and Chris Friends. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.